As we continue in our series in the book of Job, which we've been in for the last six weeks, um, we'll be going toward the end of the book now and coming to resolution next week before we go into, um, go into Lent. Uh, so I'm going to read our scripture for us this morning, and, um, and then I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. So this is coming from Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge, you said? And then Job said, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. You said, Hear, and I will speak, I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Let's pray. God, um, thank you that you have brought us into this space and that you are here um, to meet with us. We want to both give our worship to you today, and then also we want to receive from you. You know the particular ways that each of us are needing to hear from you, to receive from you, and I pray that in the mysterious way that your spirit works, that that will be happening um, even in these moments ahead of us. Uh, I pray for um, clarity and for... um, just the tenderness of our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so a couple days ago, I was visiting my grandparents in Puyallup. Um, and this is a shout out to my grandma, because she's probably watching right now. Uh, but my grandma Emma and my grandpa Reuben, um, and my sister and I stopped by so that we could say hi to them while I was down there. And I said that I was preaching this Sunday, and my grandpa um, asked me what I'd be preaching about. And I told him it was on the book of Job. And he said, ah, Job, that's my favorite story. And I said, tell me more about that. And I kind of asked him to tell me more because I knew that he would tell me more. (laughs) So I wanted to be part of the process. Uh, But he said he loves the book of Job because Job persevered in his faith. Uh, that after all the things that Job experienced, Job's faith with God wasn't shaken. And that's the way that my grandpa, just with his experiences in his life and the things that he's focusing on now, um, that's a really meaningful story to him. So I told him that I I would share that with all of you, that he's excited about this book of Job um, as we jump into it together. So just as some uh, context, because even though we've been in this for six weeks, uh, it's important to have a little highlight reel to remember where we've been. So first, Job is a book in the Old Testament, and it's part of the section of scripture that's called wisdom literature, and that's where the writers are talking about things about virtue, what it is to live a virtuous life. And uh, in, in that, they do that through poetry and through exposition. So the book of Job, in the way that it is connected in uh, this uh, grouping of books about virtue and how to live, uh, it was helpful for me to put it in the context of being in conversation with the book of Proverbs. Uh, You might be familiar with the idea of Proverbs. It's sort of a, if you do this, this will go well for you. If you do this, things will be hard for you. Sort of a, a formula of how to understand what it is to live a faithful life. So the way that 
Proverbs does that in saying, if you do this, things will go well for you. Job is in conversation with that to say, hey, I did the things I was supposed to do, and it was supposed to go well for me, but things are not going well for me. So there must be more to wisdom than just the this for that. Like, it's, a, it's digging in deeper to that. So, and, and then both of those things are held together through the book of Psalms. So actually, as I've been reading Psalms each day, um, uh, I hear Job's voice in them. Psalm holds together both the lament of, hey, things aren't going the way that I thought they were going to be going, God, and I think you're supposed to be here and acting on my behalf, but I'm not sure. But also the things of Proverbs of saying, I'm faithful, I'm following you, God, and I see your fruit in my life. So holding both of those things together. So about Job, um, Job is a man who's been living in righteous awareness of God. So he's been living the Proverbs life, uh, being faithful to God, and even at occasion offering extra sacrifices just in case somebody in his family might have done something uh, to misstep. Um, so he's been very faithful, and he's, he is rich and generous. And then as the story begins, the accuser, uh, the Satan, says to God, because God has just said, Job, my servant, is faithful, the accuser says, are you sure that he's actually faithful? It seems like things go really well for him. So it might be more it's easy for Job to be faithful to you because he has an easy life. Um, might it be different if Job's life weren't easy? And God, um, God allows the accuser to take this accusation to Job. Uh, Job then experiences deep loss and grief and actually... In a succession of messages, he hears about tragedy that's come from the East, uh, that his family, his possessions, and then even his own health, um, he experiences loss in all of these things. But in it, Job doesn't curse God, even though, this, even though his wife said that's all that he had left to do was to curse God and to die. But Job doesn't curse God. But he does have a lot of grieving and wrestling to do. Uh, and he does this. He's not passive about it. He speaks about it to his friends and to God. So Job's friends, there are a few of them that come and they travel and they sit with Job. Um, something that was a, a cultural practice of lament uh, was to sit in silence for seven days um, observing grief. And so Job's friends sit with him in that silence. But then when those seven days are up, they're bursting to tell Job why he's in the situation that he's in. So the way that they try to comfort Job is to try to say, you are in this situation because you did something wrong, and so here's what you need to do to fix it. They're, as outside observers, they're coming with advice that's wise according to their reading of the world. And their theology is one where they are saying God responds to people based on what they do. So if you're in a bad situation, it means you did something bad, you need to confess, and then God will do good again. Uh, that that's the way that God will respond. So either Job has sinned or he's claiming that God is guilty. And then much of the book is a back and forth between Job and his friends. Job committed to his integrity saying, but I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, this, do this doesn't fit. Um, but them saying, you must have done something wrong because this is the only explanation for what would have happened. And so back and forth between them. There's actually, like, the, the book is 40, 42 chapters long and probably... 30 of the chapters are this back and forth between them, uh, which really shows a lot of patience from both of them to stick through that conversation. Uh, 
But Job uh, is not comforted, he's not satisfied, and he's not convinced at what his friends are trying to say. And he yearns for God's presence to make some sense of God's plan and justice. He doesn't back down from his claims of innocence or the stuck place that his friend's theology has put him in uh, and the way that they're viewing how the world should work. Uh, Job could have conceded to his friends, but it didn't sit right with him or his integrity. So he called out to God to meet Job. He, in essence, says, God, I, I need to have an audience with you, like in a courtroom setting, so that we can work out justice, because that's the context that he could think of where justice happens, is in a courtroom. And so he calls out to, jo- to God. Um, actually, just as a side note, I have a feeling I'm going to say job at one point during this time, but know that what I mean is Job. Saying God and Job and alternating back and forth, that might happen. But I'm going to try and catch it so it can be clear. Uh, So when Job calls out to God, then God responds. Now this is where we are at the the last few chapters of the book, um, starting with chapter 38, which actually I invite you, there's Bibles uh, around you, and if you want to, you can open up to Job 38 so that as I'm referencing things, you're able to see uh, where that's happening. And today we're going to enter together into Job's response to God's revelation, which uh, then is an invitation, uh, like uh, what Valerie actually prayed over us, an invitation for us then to also respond to God's revelation. This idea of revelation and response is something that has been going through my mind um, since coming to Bethany. Uh, So I remember the first Sunday of my freshman year of college at Seattle Pacific University, um, the residence hall advisor, she um, let us know, hey, I'm going to this church called Bethany, and whoever wants to come with me can come. And so I went with her, and we drove on roads uh, that then were super confusing to me, Aurora and all the turns and stuff to get onto Aurora. but uh, are now very familiar to me. But I remember going down um, to Bethany, which at that time was in the chapel, a building about the size of one of these (laughs) sides of the pews, uh, and all of us there learning from Pastor Richard. And something that he might have even said as early as that first Sunday, but it's something that he repeated, is the idea and the admonition to be paying attention because God is always revealing God's self to us. God's revelation is all around us uh, through creation, through scripture, through our relationships, through our experiences. And because it's always around us, we always have the invitation then to respond. And really, that's what the life of faith is, is responding in deeper and deeper ways to God's uh, self-revelation to us. And emphasis on self-revelation, because in Job's experience, his friends were trying to reveal God to him through their own lens, Uh, So it was a a revelation of God, like maybe more of a reflection. But there's the opportunity to respond directly to who God says that God is. Um, And that's the idea of revelation and response that we'll be unpacking here. And something that really strikes me is that there's something about the way that God responds to Job, that God reveals God's self to Job, that's different from the way that Job's friends were... um, responding to Job. They were trying to reveal something to Job too, and it led to Job's despondency, his anger, his frustration. But as we'll see as we look through this more, God's response to Job brought out something new from him, 
And so I want us to be curious about what it is about God's response that leads to that new response from Job. So first, we'll look at uh, God's response to Job, God speaking to Job. And in chapter 38, verse 1, I think, uh, I'll get down to that in a, yeah, I think that that's where it says, God spoke to Job from out of the storm. In another translation, it says, out of the eye of the storm, God spoke. And this will be in chapters 38 through 41. In the things that God says here, uh, what God reveals to Job is about God's plan and God's justice. So those will be the two things we're going to be looking at. What God reveals about God's plan and what God reveals about God's justice. So all of this resets the scene. When God speaks through the wind, it takes them out of the courtroom setting that Job and his friends had been working within, uh, one of logic and reason, and takes them out and into the realm of creation, into the domain of God. So we'll pause for a moment here as we think about the physical experience of the wind and God revealing through creation. Uh, and take a little, this will feel a little bit like a tangent, but it's going to be <laughs> woven back in. Because uh, as I was reading, um, one of the theologians that I was reading talked about how uh, in the geography that Job was in, um, the wind was really significant. Uh, the wind would come from the east, bringing in dry, uh, dry and hot uh, weather, or it would come from the west, bringing in the rain. Uh, and so the two main seasons that they had there were the rainy winter or the hot, dry summer. And then there were just brief periods of transition between those, and that was ushered in by the east wind. So uh, the rainy winter would be ended so kind of abruptly when the east wind would blow in, kill the vegetation, and then bring in the hot summer. And uh, it could be that Job's experiences of loss at the beginning of the book were due to the east wind um, and the, the, the hot and the dry and the power of the east wind. And then after uh, the, the going from... What, what are the order of the seasons when spring, summer? Uh, then going from summer into winter, the transition period of fall, uh, the east wind comes again, but it initiates the west wind bringing in rain. And what I want to emphasize in this and like what stood out to me about this is that the eastern wind, dry, hot, it's the same, and in one situation, it brings a season of dry, hot, parched. But in another situation, it ushers in restoration, and it's a cycle. And so just as the eastern wind brings the restorative western winds and rain of spring, so too are God's words to Job through the storm. So it could be that Job has just spent this hot summer with his friends, arguing on the ash heap about uh, that they've been on as they're lamenting, arguing about why Job's in the situation that he's in, and then it's disrupted by the east wind where God speaks, and then as that east wind comes in, so too comes the rain, which finally brings uh, restoration and um, brings uh, life-renewing correction and steadfast loyalty of love of God, that this is rain for a parched land. And uh, so with that setting the scene, from this wind, in response to Job's questions about God's plan, God first asks Job, and this is in uh, chapter 38, verses 4 to 11. I'm reading this from the message version. 
He says, where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured and who set the cornerstone while the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise? And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose, and said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. So in in courtroom language, a witness is someone who saw something happen and then is able to, to say, this is what happened. These are the details of the fact. Job is able to be witness to his experiences and bring those to God, and rightly so. He's said, I'm experiencing pain and suffering, bringing that to God. And then God is saying, God is the only witness to God's plans and God's justice. Through God's words, God brings life-renewing correction to Job's idea of God's plan and God's justice. And in this plan, we see what theologian Gustavo Gutierrez calls God's gratuitous love in that God's plan includes care for things far beyond the eyes or experience of people and not connected to things people have done or not done. Um, I looked up this word gratuitous because I thought that I knew what it meant, but it's always helpful to be sure. And I'm glad that I did because I thought gratuitous meant abundant, but gratuitous means something more like unnecessary, unprovoked, non-essential. So there's significance in the use of this word gratuitous to to describe God's love uh, because it stands to counter the ways the friends uh, say that God's love works and why, where they center God's action around cause and effect, anticipating God's next move based on what they believe about God. And in this, um, again, the word is gratuitous. So instead, it's saying, uh, in, in what God paints a picture of, and I'm, I'll, I'll outline this in a moment, um, God's love isn't based on a formula. God's love is because God loves, and there's no explanation for it that, that's needed in the way that the friends were trying to create one. So in chapters 38 uh, through 40, Uh, or 38 and 39, God takes Job on a panoramic journey of his physical environment, showing how many places and creatures are recipients of God's care and attention, all parts of a larger whole of which God is intimately involved, a whole that's not bounded within human understanding. So he takes Job from the weather patterns of the desert to the brilliance of the stars. He takes him from providing for hungry lions, to knowing and caring for the birthing of mountain, of mountain goats. Uh, he takes them from the freedom and the untamable nature of the wild donkey and the wild ox uh, to the strangeness of the ostrich. That's a fun part. You should check that out in there. That's fun when he talks about the ostrich. Ostriches are weird, <laughs> but, it's, but it's, within, it's part of God's gratuitous love that they, there's a strangeness even to, <laughs> to these creatures. Uh, He takes him to the valiance of the horse and the heights of the prowess of the eagle. God's care extends to all of creation because God gives and attends gratuitously, not because God is working from a formulaic approach to love. So through these words, 
God brings life renewing correction to Job's idea of God's plan. In chapters 40 to 41, um, God responds to Job's question about justice by bringing up uh, what Pastor Prentice talked about last week, which was uh, the creatures Behemoth and Leviathan. These creatures represented brute strength and power within God's creation. And with that, there's a sense of danger, a sense of not being able to be controlled by people, and yet God says they are not all-powerful. God contains even these giants within the bounds of God's justice. And there's freedom in God's justice. These creatures live within the range of their creatureliness. They still have dangerous teeth. They still have thrashing tails. They still um, are huge, but they don't rule the world. So similarly, in the passage that I read earlier, God says this about the seas, that the seas have their bounds. And in Job's culture, the waters represented the idea of chaos, uh, something that can't be contained by people. In Genesis 1.1, before speaking words of order over all that was formless and void, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So the chaos was about to be contained by um, our God. So chaos exists. The sea continues to be free to toss and to turn, uh, but it is not in control and it has limit. Because God is the authority of the cosmos, and the cosmos being the universe seen as well-ordered and whole, Because God is the authority of the cosmos, Job doesn't need to be afraid of being mastered by these things. He doesn't need to fear that God's justice has been overpowered. Through God's words, God brings life-renewing correction to Job's idea of God's plan and God's justice. So through God's self-revelation in the eastern wind, Job's questions are answered because of being in God's presence. Something that stands out to me, uh, probably because what I often prefer is an answer, uh, like here's my question, what's the answer to my question, Uh, but something that is significant about what God gives Job is that God responds to Job with God's self. So while Job had said, I want to talk to you in a courtroom, and out of a courtroom setting, you'd come out with a legal document that says, here's the things that... uh, Here's what the problems were. Here's what the resolutions are. A very clear sort of um, uh, document that uh, encapsulates all those things. But rather, God responds to Job's need for answers by showing up as God. Um, And it's remarkable that the way God responds to our needs is also through God's self. Uh, John 1 verse 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And this is Jesus. This is God's self-revelation as a person who knows what it is to experience human suffering and is at the same time the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, what's huge about this and remarkable again is that through the Holy Spirit, we share in this life with Jesus so when we're, when we're talking about these things and looking to Scripture, we're not looking to it as a legal document. We're looking to it as the person of Jesus, that that's the way that God is revealing God's self to us. And our questions, then, are met by a personable God 
God who is mighty over the cosmos, and God who is as close as a whisper, even a whisper from the eye of the storm. So those, those are aspects of God's self-revelation to Job. And now we'll spend the rest of our time uh, looking at what Job's response is to what God has said. Um, I'll read uh, Job 42, verse 1 to 6 again for us here. This is Job's response. But now we have the context, a little bit more context of what he's responding to. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You said, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You said, hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Uh, we talked earlier about Job's response to his friends. They were wanting to answer his question of why, uh, leading him to their own sense of revelation. But their responses, again, they led to Job's, uh, Job responded to them with frustration, discouragement, anger, and despondency. Their uh, responses painted a picture of God within their own understanding of how God should be. But when Job encounters God in the storm, Job's first response that we see in 42 verse 2 is one of faith and of awe. Job says, I know you can do all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. In his response of faith, Job closes the case on the accusation of the accuser at the beginning of the story. That Job's faith in God is not based on the good things God does for Job. It's built on a foundation of trust which Job reaffirms here for who God is. Job also responds in humility to seeing reality anew. And we see this in uh, 42 verse 3, where Job says, You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Uh, one of my favorite psalms uh, is what Valerie read at the start of the service, Psalm 131. Um, where it says, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. And I hear Job in these words. I hear him saying, I have been speaking about things beyond my understanding, and instead I want to be with you like a child with its mother. And in that relationship, we'll be able to contain the things that feel like too much for me, and we'll be able to process it together. Job, in this posture of dependency um, with God as mother in this image, would say, your ways of love and justice are a foundation for me. Even as I authentically witnessed my experience of suffering and call out to you, to speak to me of your lasting justice. I was thinking about this as we were singing um, Good, Good Father, as we kept sitting in those words of, um, you're a good, good father, it's who you are. I'm loved by you, it's who I am. I think of that being the refrain of this sort of picture of 
a, a child with its mother, the mother saying, I'm good, I'm good, and the child saying, I'm loved, I'm loved. And knowing that that doesn't mean that things outside of their relationship won't bring trouble and struggle and challenge and question, but within that relationship, there's a solid foundation for being able to contain and to work and like to to float along with um, with the things that happen. And I, I, I sense that Job, his posture is moving towards this. He's no longer needing to stand in front of God and point his finger and say, this is what I know you should be doing. Instead, he's able to be held uh, like a child with, with its mother. And I think that, that that's, that's an image that I think about often. And I invite you, if, if, that, if you see a baby this week, I invite you to, to reflect more on that, even seeing yourself in that picture. In the framework of Job's friends, um, that of retribution, uh, where they say, if you do this, this is what will happen to you. This had become a stuck place for Job, and Job rebelled against that because it was a dead end. He needed a new framework. Uh, and this is where he's opening himself to seeing reality anew because of God's revelation. Again, theologian Gustavo Gutierrez says, uh, and this is, I'm going to quote from him for several lines here, um, but this felt really significant to me. Uh, Gutierrez says, Previously, when Job moved within the framework of the doctrine of retribution, he did not have any journey at all ahead of him because at the bottom, everything was supposedly understood and he was already at the goal. This is no longer the case. He sees things differently now. God is present to him as an abiding newness. Job sees anew about God's plan and God's justice. God's justice is not a zero-sum game where either Job is innocent and God is unjust, or Job is guilty and God is just. Instead, Job sees that it's, it's a bigger picture than that. It's a new picture. And then finally, Job responds by acknowledging God's nearness. In uh, 42 verse 4, Job says, You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. So all of you right now, your ears are hearing something about God. But the invitation is to, with Job, be able to recognize what do you see about God? Not just because I am saying something, but what, are, what do you see about God? Because God is showing you that. And I think this is beautiful. Another translation reads, I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. This leads Job to faith and to trust. Um, and it's different from that of his friends. In a small way, I, when I was thinking about this, um, I thought about myself as a child. I grew up um, not knowing that there's anything other than a life of uh, like Christian culture because I was very much in Christian culture. And so my ears heard and everywhere that I went from school to church to home to TV to radio to move, gosh, everything, books, <laughs> everything. Uh, I heard certain things about God. Um, and then from that, I was like, okay, I need to live a certain way so that I can be good. And I can remember every Saturday for a while when I was eight, um, I watched Saturday morning 
Trinity Broadcasting Network uh, Christian kids television, and they would do uh, like an altar call at the end of one of the shows every week. And I remember that I would always pray the prayer because I just wasn't sure if I had heard right, how many times I was supposed to do it or what I was supposed to do. Uh, so I was, I was living based on what my ears had heard, but I, I can remember um, having some significant moments in college where um, I got to the point where the things that I had heard were no longer working um, and got to the point, uh, not, not the same experience as Job, but got to a point of my own of like, I need to hear from God about this because nothing else is making sense and being in places of nature um, and, and just being under the immense sky with all the stars and just sensing anew a little bit by little bit what it is to be held um, by God in the way of what the psalmist is saying, being held like a weaned child with, with its mother um, and being able to see that God is responding um, beyond the things that I thought that I knew and, and developing a relationship in that way. And all of these things... Um, all of these things point us uh, to Jesus, that even in the things that I heard as a child, they were good, and I experienced Jesus in that. But then being able to uh, become aware of God's revelation to me and around me, God's self-revelation in the person of Jesus, um, particularly for all of us, this is an encouragement that Jesus uh, has experienced what it is to be a person. And so when Jesus is um, uh, meeting us uh, where we are, it's in a way of empathy and, uh, and also power that Jesus experienced death on the cross and rose in resurrection power. So we have a savior who knows both of those things. So as, um, as I've been sitting with all of this, uh, a big piece that has stood out to me is Job's capacity to stay present. So I know it's easy to just tell, to tell a story and say hard things happen to someone um, and then things changed at the end. So isn't, isn't, that, a, isn't that a good story? But it, it's important to sit with the reality of suffering at the same time as the goodness of, God, of Job uh, experiencing God. There's a depth of capacity for Job to have stayed present for all 42 chapters, or even to stay present for the first 38 to get to the point where God responded. Like, I wonder what it is about Job that he was able to stay present. And I wonder if it's that he, he expressed what he was feeling. He moved through suffering, through lament, through grief. He cried out to God. I wonder if it's in that participation that he was sort of cultivating in himself the ability to be able to stay and to wait and then to receive when God, when God responded. And that in this, he was then invited to personal relationship with this just, loving, and almighty God. And again, the thing that I... I I encourage you to, to take as a curiosity as well is what is it that prepped Job for openness in this way? Because in my own experience, I know that when I'm experiencing hard things, I don't necessarily jump to having like an openness to receiving something new. Uh, I might rather stick with what's familiar. I might rather isolate. I might rather not I might rather ignore that things are happening, but what, to, what is it to be open in this way, 
to be ready to receive God's loving uh, correction, love, and nearness. And this is something, again, uh, not, I, I'm not trying to provide a formula with answers. It's more being, having this awareness of what is it that's cultivating that sort of ability for you to sit with it, even two minutes longer, five minutes longer, even to open up to one person uh, where before you might not have before, and then how God might meet you in those cracks, um, in those intentional spaces that you leave. Uh, and in that, there's this sense of freedom, that there is freedom for us to express our complaints to express our experience to God um, and to trust that God expresses then God's gratuitous love um, that's not confined within a system of predictable rewards and punishments. It's bigger than that. Um, as, as I close, there's a couple, there's, a, there's a words from a song and then there's an image that I want to show. Um, but first, the words of the song. So uh, as I've been sitting with this over the past week, honestly, it's felt really challenging to know how to synthesize and like what to communicate about, about this experience. Because I guess there's some of it, like with Job, it's, it's like visceral to talk about suffering and mystery and waiting on God and, and God's revelation. But uh, throughout the night, on Friday night, and this, I don't know if you all have this sort of like awareness that you might have sometimes when you're asleep. You know that you're asleep, but you're also sort of aware of what's happening in your sleep. Uh, so throughout the night on Friday night, I became aware of a song that was running through my dreams. And it's a song by one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Sarah Groves. Um, and it has definitely lots of reason to be in my head because when I first got uh, this particular album in 2009, I listened to it straight for three months. <laughs> so there's definitely a lot of reason why it would be in my head. But even after listening to that song, it wasn't until it came up in my sleep that I realized the song was about Job. <laughs> like my, my mind had just put it together. And uh, it felt like something that communicates Job's faith and renewed vision, how he holds on to grief, lament, worship, and trust all together, embracing the mystery of God's revelation. So um, I'd like to read the words for us, and they'll be up on the screen too. I would have played it for you, but I wasn't sure what copyright sort of laws might be <laughs> infringed upon, and I didn't want to compromise our live stream. So I'm going to read them for you instead. Uh, but this is from Sarah Groves. This is her song, Open My Hands. I believe in a blessing I don't understand. I've seen rain fall on the wicked and the just. Rain is no measure of his faithfulness. He withholds no good thing from us. I believe in a peace that flows deeper than pain, that broken finds healing in love. Pain is no measure of his faithfulness. He withholds no good thing from us. I believe in a fountain that will never run dry, though I've thirsted and didn't have enough. Thirst is no measure of his faithfulness. He withholds no good thing from us. And then in this last part, this is the chorus. This is, this is what I hear in Job's final response to God. I will open my hands, will open my heart. I will open my hands, will open my heart. I'm nodding my head, an emphatic yes to all that you have for me.
to be able to say I'm nodding my head an emphatic yes to all that you have to me, even at the same time as saying I believe in a blessing I don't understand. I believe in a peace that flows deeper than pain. I believe in a fountain that will never run dry. Even though I ex experience dryness, even though I experience pain, even though it seems like rain is falling on wicked and just, even though I don't understand, I'm nodding my head an emphatic yes to all that you have for me. Just the sort of the trust that's been built to get to that point, um, that feels really profound. Um, as we close, I want to, um, I'll close this with, with th that being our closing prayer. I want to invite the band to come up um, as, we, as we respond together. And I want to read Psalm 52, verses 8 over us. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Uh, let me pray for us. God, um, with all of these things that have been said, the things that have resonated, the things that have been confusing or challenging, I pray for your tending to them. Just as you responded to Job, you also respond to us. So I pray that we will bring these things to you, our experiences, our questions, because in this we are growing a deeper trust in you, a deeper trust to be able to be held by you, even as there are things that we don't understand, when there are things that we experience that are painful, uh, we turn to you um, and to your love to sustain us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.